Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The Nismo Countdown to Green on RadioLeMans.com with Nismo. Eat, sleep, race, repeat. Eat, sleep, race, repeat. How are we going to do it now? Well, we had a whole race behind the safety car, so we'll not continue in that vein just a couple of years ago. But now, um, yeah, we, we've got wet conditions, um, so it's going to throw a little bit of a curveball, both strategically and for the drivers in, in the early laps of the race uh, once we escape from that safety car start procedure. Um, obviously, uh, they have run a little bit uh, in the wet conditions early, earlier on in the weekend, but, um, yeah, very, very different from going screaming down into turn one in those conditions. Mind you, very few circuits around the world have had such incredibly famous races that were affected by the rain as back in 1976, of course, made famous for younger fans by the film Rush a couple of years ago. But that 1976 World Championship shootout between James Hunt and Nicky Lauda and how the rain came down. But Fuji in the dry is a difficult thing. Very, very abrasive race circuit. And uh, tyres are always a massive factor. And we were just talking before we came on air, Alex, that perhaps a little sprinkling of rain can liven things up, but we're having a bit too much of a sprinkle at the moment. Absolutely. I think a few teams perhaps uh, breathing a sigh of relief. I remember last year running there in the in the Morgan Nissan uh, LMP2, we were really struggling with front left tyres specifically. Turn four, the very, very long, very, very fast right-hander um, is an absolute tyre killer. So, yeah, a little bit of rain might really spring a couple of teams in terms of strategy today with, with a few other options that they can, that they can run and a few other uh, plans um, in terms of stint and tyre strategy that they can play. Uh, but it does create a difficult scenario at the start and it does create risk. And alleviating that risk is going to be down to the drivers in the initial instance, but also down to the teams in terms of who they put in the car when. And that decision uh, has to be a clever one uh, from the engineers on the pit wall. And obviously at the start of the race is normally where we bring Paul Trusswell in to let us know his thoughts about how how long the teams will go on their stints, the various cars. Um, and he gave me some notes before the race that, uh, of course, two laps behind, <laughs> but formation laps, they have to be deducted. I think we'll, we'll find the pattern fairly soon, but of course all of that has been thrown this curveball by the rain coming down and the fact they're not going to be going at full racing pace early on. So the first stint, it's going to be, for us, suck it and see, and hopefully Paul, with all his supercomputers uh, in the Woking Technical Centre, uh, d- can get his head around the first stint. We'll call what we see out on the track, but... Uh, it's the same up on the pit wall. They've got to completely rejig their thoughts, their processes. But of course, they've got computers. They've got all these actualities. They've just got to work through to the right one. Of course, but as we know well in endurance racing, the um, the the stint plan plan A is very very rarely the one which gets which gets implemented. I've heard a quote which says, "No plan, um, no plan survives first uh, implementation." And we, we both know that to be very much true in this scenario. So th- these guys are always continually working on uh, the stint plan as the race as the race progresses um, in terms of their tyre wear, fuel consumption, etc. 
these rainy conditions at the start of the race will will magnify the flux, if you like, in those in those plans and uh, and what can be achieved. Um, as these guys plan through plan A, plan B, plan C, what will be really interesting is if the race does indeed dry up, when teams can move and progress off that wet tire. And then the strategic options that that gives them as they move through the middle phase of the race and then start looking to count back uh, from the end point. Uh, Obviously, significantly different types of wet tyre available, particularly in LMP1. Michelin have their semi-slick option, which appears to be a slick tyre. Of course, very, very soft compound appears to be a slick tyre, but that's for damp and raining conditions. Teams also have the tyre regulations to consider, um, which relate to the amount of slick tyres, specifically slick tyres used over the race distance. And obviously, using the wet tyre in the in the start of the race springs a lot more rubber, just a pure uh, amount of rubber available for the teams to use as they will. So you can you might see stints run a lot faster, particularly in, for example, the LMP2 category, where they were very very tyre limited, and in general in Fuji you are very tyre limited in LMP2. Um, that scenario in the middle of the race where LMP1 teams may have to double stint the cars, I suspect will be hoovered up, um, sorry, double stint the tyre, may be hoovered up by the wet running at the start of the race. So all of these things throw a little bit of a curveball in. Teams will have to play it by ear and they won't have the information necessarily immediately on hand in terms of extrapolation of tyre data and indeed fuel consumption for wet conditions. So it's going to test the strategic minds on the pit wall today. All interesting stuff, but say we had absolutely perfect racing conditions. It's a seesaw battle at the moment, but it seems to be going Porsche's way. They've definitely had the upper hand. Audi never really had a car that's very, very strong at Fuji, but continual tweaking and changing of the aerodynamic setup and when it came to qualifying they were much much closer okay qualifying is a two-lap average um but they they were almost identical times set by the second porsche which is the number 18 dumas jani liebkar as the as the championship leading number seven audi how do you see it going between the two we'll have to get a really close look at the cars and see what aero tweaks are there what, what are your thoughts on that alex fuji specifically is quite a strange one in terms of when you turn up as a driver, because the first thing you're presented with when you glance over the pit wall, as I always do when I go to a new track, just to see how the place looks and get a feel for it, the first thing you're presented with is an absolutely massive long straight in front of you, which looks endless, and the immediate assumption is that it's a low downforce venue. Actually, when you come to drive the track and work on the track, when you look at the uh, the tight, fiddly sector uh, that ends the lap, and also the very, very long um, turn four, the very, very quick turn three, is that actually it's quite a high downforce venue indeed. Porsche drivers bringing two, uh, Porsche team bringing two sets of, uh, of aero kit f- for that car this weekend and opting to use the high downforce specification because the drivers liked it more. And I'm really not surprised. You do tend to run quite a high level of downforce to get the car through the middle sector, which is where all of the time is. Um, it, it's, uh, I wouldn't say it's the most exciting track on the, on the World Endurance Championship calendar from a driver's point of view. It's very wide, can be frustrating through the last sector, quite easy to pass traffic uh, on the positive side. Um, you spend a lot of time managing the tyre. It's quite a technical 
kart track style of driving there's not really that much big ballsy stuff to to get the car through um it's an interesting challenge but it doesn't blow your mind from the driver's seat interesting you just said back then how it's quite easy for passing i, I commented on a, on a super gt race earlier this year of course you got the really unbelievably fast gt500 class cars you got the gt300 cars but time and again we'd see the lead battle being really interrupted by gaggles of GT300s through the final... It's a 16-corner track, basically from turn 10, going up the slope through the snaky turns. It really was the luck of the draw where you got the traffic. And I don't see why that won't be the same when you get uh, the big boys coming through to pass the uh, GT-class cars. Absolutely could be the case. The difference with a LMP car in relation to a, to a GT car going through that final sector as they do for example have the downforce to just go screaming around the outside but there's definitely a sector of the circuit between say turns 12 and 15 where it is very very difficult to overtake that's for sure another place where you can get caught out badly is around the outside of turn four as the track gets muckier and muckier through the race it's very, very easy to get hung out to dry on the outside there by a GT car, particularly if the GT car inside you runs wide or has some kind of issue, as they very often do in those long load, very fast corners. A GT car is quite difficult to drive in that kind of scenario. They tend to they tend to move around a lot more than obviously a prototype would with the amount of downforce available. So it is it's always difficult to get by, but what you do have at your disposal is turn one, which is an absolutely massive braking zone, um, and all the way through down into turn six, where you can get around the outside in turn four, then outbreak people, another big stop down into turn 10. And obviously the last corner, turn 16, is very, very wide and offers opportunities to go both up the inside and round the outside of uh, the cars ahead of you. There are some frustrating sections, but... I don't think it's going to be a dominant factor uh, in the race today. Now, just just going around the lap, everyone knows that turn one, the straight goes on and on. Eventually, it comes to a stop. In fact, it doesn't. It just turns right, whereas the original straight kept on going for about another quarter of a mile. And then underneath that incredible banked, well, the grandstands cut into the mountainside. And it was at the feet. It was like a speedway oval. But that you then come down the hill, the little kink at turn two, then the very fast Turn three, also known as Coca-Cola Corner. But 100R, this turn four, you keep saying going round and round to the right. How much visibility do you have? Because there's basically a hill that interrupts your, your line of sight as you come through Coca-Cola. And you can't see what's around in turn four until you're into it. Absolutely. It's very easy to miss your breaking point, actually, for turn six. Because as the, as the the which is the hairpin at the, at the bottom of the hill there, as you start to um, go downhill and the track drops away, you lose a, a lot of weight over the front tyres initially and then obviously from the whole car. Very, very difficult to pick your braking point. You have to pick a reference on the right-hand side, which is where you tend to be looking as you go through 100R, which is probably the biggest high-speed challenge on the racetrack, that and the, the corner immediately preceding it, which is Coca-Cola. Both actually quite tricky and technical. Don't feel incredibly fast when you drive the car. I think that's because there's a lot of space around them. And in general, Fuji is is a racetrack with a lot of space uh, around the race line and a lot of space around the circuit. You tend to see cars getting out of trouble if they do have uh, an issue or make a mistake. But yes, it is very difficult to pick your turn-in point and your braking point indeed into 
into turn six, as it is throughout the whole track, really, particularly as well in the final sector, turn 15, you tend to be braking and turning at the same time. So picking a specific braking point as the car crests, rises, for example, turn 13, turn 15, both uphill sections where the uh, the direction of the track is only available to you at the very last moment. It is very technical. It is slightly frustrating. You do take a very long time after turning in to make the apex of those corners in the final part of the lap. And there's a little bit of turn the steering wheel and trust and judge that I'm going to arrive at the apex because I've turned in at the right place and I'm carrying the right amount of speed and trial and error of the previous laps has told me I arrive at the apex. There's also a great big penalty if you do run wide because there's a lot of off-camber stuff going on uh, in the fiddly final sector. That was my very next question. Alex Brundle, obviously you've been out there, you've raced it, but how much assist is there from the gradient going up the hill or is the track always very level at each of the corners, so you're not being helped by slight banking. Yeah, it's it's very subtle, but it's quite a big deal around Fuji. Turn one, you get a, a very nasty off-camber downhill slump in in the middle, makes it very difficult um, to, to take the apex and continue on power. Car tends to understeer wide. Coca-Cola, which is the next meaningful corner, turn three, is very flat, but turn four is very, very banked indeed, massively more so than you'd ever realise just from standing on it. It's something you can really feel through your fingers and the way the car loads up. Downhill again into turn six, very easy to pluck an inside front wheel and then slightly off camber as you exit through seven. 10, 11, 12, slightly frustrating. Start, track starts to go uphill again and then crests arise off camber into turn 13. Very, very tricky to make the apex there. You have to really balance braking and turning very, very nicely to ensure that you make the apex. And again, if you don't quite make the apex, the track really falls away from you and you lose absolutely massive time. Big compression through turn 14 into the braking zone of 15 where it's again exactly the same way very tricky to make the apex and turn 16 uphill but it just feels absolutely endless to connect with the apex and get the power on you just feel like you're wasting time it's a it's a very very frustrating final sector to the lap actually frustrating but how physical is it because obviously you're doing an awful lot of turning from the bottom of the hill but it's not a high loading section of the circuit so it's a it's a it's a mental frustration rather than anything, anything physical that manifests itself Absolutely. It's it's one of the least physical tracks of the calendar, actually, mainly because you've got a great big start finish straight. Every time you uh, come out of that last sector, you get you know, 45 seconds break or something as you as you head down into turn one. And what really tires you out as a driver or, or what you might find physical, there are a couple of things. One is temperature and it's never ludicrously hot this time of year around there. Another is uh, continuous high load corners, particularly in a sports car with a lot of downforce. If you do have uh, plenty of continuous, very, very high G corners, that's something that's going to that's gonna be quite physical for the drivers. Sections like the Beckett's S's in, at Silverstone or the first sector at, um, at Cota are probably the more physical areas of racetrack uh, that you can drive, particularly in a prototype car. But there's nothing around Fuji which honestly really challenges the driver physically. 
it's a very, very difficult place to keep your concentration because you have to be very, very accurate and have a lot of finesse with the way in which you handle the car and the pedals and balance the car as you make your way through the very long, kind of slow corners in the last sector of the lap. And indeed, a place where you really have to manage a set of tyres to make sure you don't grind away the left left front through 100R. Make sure you don't leave rear tyre all over the racetrack on the exit of turn 15, turn 16, uh, as you as you go through the last sector. Now, completely tangential question to that, Alex. Majority of the teams in the World Endurance Championship based in Europe. Going over for a flyaway, eight hours time difference, seven hours time difference for races in the Far East. How much of a factor is that? How much, if you had your ideal number of days to prepare, how many days before the race would you go over to set, sort yourself out? It's a massive issue, and it's something that's very rarely touched upon. And what you desperately don't want is to get out there and find you run out of fuel in the middle of the race and you just die. And it's something that does happen. These guys, as very much as we are here um, uh, sitting in in London, are are running on a European uh, are running on a European time clock. They, you know, they've jumped on a plane. They've got all of the tire, you know, the the difficulties of travelling to to overcome as well. And you do find there is a point during this race specifically where your body says, "I would like to go to sleep now," and you have to wake yourself. You have to wake yourself up again. In fact. Anybody who travels a lot will tell you the Far East um, is a is the most difficult um, area of the world for this. I remember Sebastian Philippe, who was my team boss the first year I, I drove for Oak, uh, used to be, of course, uh, a Super GT driver, a successful Super GT driver. And I remember him explaining to me how difficult he found it heading over to to the Far East and back with that exact sleep cycle time change, about eight hour time change which just puts you one sleep cycle behind where you need to be. Uh, and you're you're screaming for rest by the end of this race. Absolutely. Not in a, a physically tiring way, just uh, in a way of uh, pure fatigue. And you've got to remember that quite a lot of the teams as well have come back from Kota. So they've come, they've not only started in Europe, they've come from the other way. Uh, on an American time zone, they've hit home, they've done a bit of washing or sorted out whatever they need to sort out. They've been probably been uh, in meetings, etc., etc., working on whatever needs to be worked on to you know, achieve whatever goals they have for this, this next event. And off they go again out to Fuji uh, to perform. You forgot to mention there's one day in the middle where they're allowed to pat their children on the head and show, have that show of solidarity and take them to school or whatever, and then off to the far side of the world. But just touching on that, maybe the fact that it isn't such a physical track is actually a good thing because when your reserves are down, if you're really ripping a lot more out of yourself, you're more likely to suddenly drop into that into that trough, that slough of despond. Anyhow, we shouldn't be talking about stuff like this. The race is coming up, but they will have a less physical start, clearly, uh, setting off behind the safety car. Um, but at that point, the brain is starting to sap what's beneath but anyhow we, we can move on from the, the physical stuff we'll, we'll touch on that later but um audi much closer than i expected in terms of uh, lap time in qualifying again it is porsche porsche audi audi and we always forget to mention toyota but they are looking at their times they're two and a half seconds off the ultimate pace set by the porsches so they've got to play that supporting role that sadly they've been playing all season but in LMP2, you always sort of these days look to KCMG, see how that, that silver and blue Orica is. Um, but they're, they're down in fourth 
fourth in class. The, the Ligier is looking very strong indeed. Yeah, I recall in Nürburgring, actually through the second half of the lap, as you came out of the Schumacher S and through that next fast bank chicane, the Audi being very, very strong in relation to the Porsche wheel-to-wheel. And I think, as, as we mentioned earlier on when we were discussing the nature of the circuit, it is a circuit which rewards downforce, something you're seeing as well in LMP2 with, I would say, the higher downforce Ligiers uh, being prevalent over the KCMG car, which tends to be a little bit more slippery, perhaps to the detriment of its tyres through the, through the stint and, and, uh, and high-level, you know, high-speed downforce. I think perhaps the reason why we're seeing Audi just that little bit closer in qualifying is that effect of just having a little bit more a little bit more downforce to play with through the middle and final sector. I think we're going to see a very much closer perhaps and and a definitely a very interesting battle if we do get dry running in this race. In fact, we're going to see an interesting battle anyway because I have no idea what the wet conditions, uh, how they're going to play out regarding uh, regarding it. You know, it's a, it's a whole new ballpark for these guys. Uh, and how, how are those wet conditions going to affect the battle absolutely at the front of the race? I think it's going to, you know, show the driver lineups off uh, incredible, you know, an incredible amount when you have almost a thousand horsepower to, to connect with the racetrack on not a very, very abrasive and grippy surface at all at Fuji. It's a really closed surface to the racetrack, very difficult to generate tyre temperature in general. It's a slippery old place, and I think you're really going to see the drivers working for traction and pace out there. It's going to be really, really interesting through the early phase of this race. That's going to be great. Then as we dry up, I think we're going to see more of the, the merits of of the of the leading shall we say the leading LMP ones talking Audi and uh, and Porsche through the various different parts of the racetrack I think we'll see Porsche really being able to attack on that long front straight and perhaps having the runs down into into turn one but Audi may have something for them through specifically turn three and four the middle sector and then being able to close up or get away through that last phase of the lap. And uh, back to Toyota again. Maybe there are any chances that they will read the weather conditions absolutely right. If if it starts drying, they time that right. And even if it comes back to being wet again, that, unfortunately, with their, with their lack of pace, is their only hope, obviously. <laughs> A home win would be ab- beyond massive for them this year because last year, champions this year also rounds. Very unfortunate. Yes, of course. And they, and they have a record of, of victories here to, to protect. So... They are going to be they are going to be desperate to perform better than they have previously. Unfortunately, a little bit off the pace um, through the qualifying process. But absolutely, I think they will be rubbing their hands regarding the conditions because this is exactly what they needed. They needed an upset somehow in order to get a result. It's quite clear that they don't have the speed in dry conditions. Perhaps this condition could offer them a chance to to get closer to the to the front running LMP ones. So. If if they could choose a condition for this race to start in, under the safety car in the pouring rain might be the condition that they would pick. It's definitely going to offer them uh, a little bit more of a chance than they've, had, than they've had in previous rounds. And fleetingly down towards the tail end, is this the only hope for, for Aston Martin? Because they've really, they're, they're getting pretty upset with the balance of performance, etc., etc. But Ferrari leading the way and Porsche looking strong, but... Actually, third third in qualifying for Aston Martin, so maybe it is suiting them. But uh, what what do you think? Thoughts on that? Well, they did have an update, of course, 
um, regarding their balance of performance. So they they were giving a little bit of performance back in relation to the other cars in GTE. So they're kind of begrudgedly satisfied with that. John Gore in the week said it would be really nice to see us battling with the other GTE cars again. I think they feel that that positioning is is the best they can do, best car um, running in third in GTE Pro um, through qualifying. I think that was the um, Alex McDowell, Fernando Reese and Stefan Mucker entry. They're still not there, are they? They're still not quite there. We have seen some good performances from them through the qualifying process and they're not... Um, So in the race, we did wonder why that was uh, at some length. And uh, after the race, it was made clear that they basically ran a softer tyre compound in qualifying to get that pole position result um, that they achieved in the Nürburgring. But um, yeah, quite clearly, all all is not happy there. And they're still not quite happy with the BOP, you know, the BOP arrangements available to them. Yes, perhaps the, a wet condition again. They've got a couple of strong line, driver lineups in the car that could uh, it, it could play into their hands. But if you look at the GTE field as a whole, I wouldn't say that their lineups are outstanding in comparison to to the rest of the GTE field. You know, outstanding drivers, of course. But when you look at the quality available in depth, you look at James Collard, the likes of James Collado, who's popped it on pole in in that class. Um, it, the, the the level of drivers competing in that category are, are massive. So you're not going to be able you're not going to be able to just school anyone and take seconds out of people. That's just not how it's going to work. I'm sure it will be notoriously close as ever. Well, we're into the final five minutes, final four minutes now before the start of the race. It's still very grey at Fuji, but there is visibility. I've certainly been there where you couldn't see as much as we can see at the moment as the first shots looking down over to turn sixteen. And uh, a very tricky, scratchy sort of circuit. Be great to drive on your own. Not always the best for racing, but we'll see what unfolds. But the track, not as wet as it was earlier. You can see puddling offline. And particularly when you come out of the pits, in fact, you have to go through the water trough through the Ford. But uh, what we can tell you is uh, Mark Webber will be starting on pole from Porsche. Romain Dumas alongside. Uh, third place on the grid, Marcel Fessler for Audi with Oliver Jarvis starting in fourth place. And then the Toyotas will be started by Nakajima and Wurtz ahead of Alex Imperatori. Yep, absolutely. You can see a little bit of, as you, as you mentioned, um, Bruce, a little bit of puddling offline. And I'm wondering how that will affect uh, the starting process when, when that right hand as it uh, from you know from driver's view right hand side of the grid heads down towards turn one it does look murky and pea soup out there but it's not horrible as you say and you're not going to see a horrible amount of spray um, down into turn one so I think uh, we should be good for a start pretty quickly through this safety car process this program is a radio show limited production tell your friends there's more at radiolamont.com